0: Welcome to another episode of the Bakari Sellers Podcast. I cannot believe we're this far in. Shout out to all my guests. Shout out to this week's guest, Josina Anderson, and today's guest, my brother, uh, Steve Harvey. I'm not sure that your favorite podcast has better guests than we do. Every week, Monday and Thursday, we sit down and have long chats about everything that's going on in the world. Um, So I just want to say thank you for downloading, subscribing, and many of you all DM me about guests that I should have and how you're spreading the word. I'm so grateful for all of that. You know, there's a lot going on in the news this week, but one thing I didn't want to miss is this ad from Get Your Booty to the Poll, a campaign out of Atlanta led by a handful of sisters who uh, realize, like I do, that the couch is always an option. We talk about this often on this show, that people aren't choosing between two candidates. They're choosing between Uh, Donald Trump, Joe Biden, and the couch. And so it's always on the ballot. And we have to meet Black men, Black people. We have to meet them where they are and talking to them about this election in November. Check out this ad. And let's talk about it on the other side.
1: You're really not going to vote? You know it's more than just the president on the ballot, right? Check it. A district attorney decides who to prosecute. Including whether or not to go after dirty cops. Do you know who elects the DA? We do. But you don't want to vote. Can't make it rain if you locked up on some bullshit. Want trades and coding taught in our schools? Then vote for the school boards that will prepare us for the job market. Wanna end cash bail? Well then vote for the sheriffs and county officials that feel the same way you do. But you talking about, oh, they gonna pick who they gonna pitch, Shouty? Ferguson just elected their first black mayor. You know how that happened? It's clear black lives don't matter to some of our current elected officials. If they matter to you, then don't let other people decide who's going to run your community. Get your booty to the poll.
0: You see, their message is clear and one we should all support. Very important down ballot races like district attorney. I appreciated the fact that it was straight to camera messaging about district attorney, sheriff and school board. These things are all on the ballot and black men can be a decisive vote. In getting the right local leadership in place in our communities. And while voting for president is obviously, obviously very important, it's not the only thing. And by we, I mean a lot of young folks and black folks. We spend a lot of time on Twitter and the Internet obsessing about the top of the ballot and not nearly enough energy about the races that get to the heart of the issues that matter to us. These phenomenal black women's creative attempts at getting our attention, notwithstanding, we had a few haters on the Internet who thought that the ad was, quote, demeaning and insulting to black people. Well, it's not. Here's why. The best political ads get your attention and meet you where you are, wherever you are. And this ad did that. The message was serious and the messengers were clearly an appeal to most black men because we're lying if we're not going to start acting like the primary patrons of black gentlemen's clubs aren't black men. So let's cut the BS. We complain that political ads don't speak to black men, but when they try to, we don't respond to them. Think about it. When was the last time you went to the barbershop and brothers were talking about a political ad? Now go to the barbershop and put this ad on and see what happens. We know what happens. Brothers will pay attention. If I'm being honest, I wish the Democratic Party and Democratic candidates actually used more authentic influencers like these entertainers from our communities and how they talk to Black voters. What's more authentic than Black women telling Black men to go and vote? The fact that they're dancers may have distracted some of y'all, but these women are also our mothers, our sisters, our wives, and girlfriends, our nieces, and our daughters, and our friends, and they know us. Nobody is as frustrated with the current state of politics as I am. But what I don't want to do is diminish creative attempts to speak to voters when the message comes from us, is to us, comes from the right place and pushes us to be more engaged. So as always, I say trust these black women and take your booty to the poll and cut that self-righteous BS. And Be sure to follow Get Your Booty to the Poll on social media and support these sisters. Now on to our show with my mentor and friend, the iconic Steve Harvey. So welcome to the Bakari Sellers podcast today. I have a great guest on. I'm so excited. Thank you so much. I'm so grateful to have Mr. Steve Harvey joining me today. What's going on, my brother? How are you doing today?
1: Hey, man, I'm doing pretty good. I'm going to tell you something, man. I've only done two podcasts in my life. I have did Wyclef John and I've done yours. This is it.
0: Well, I Listen. I'm I'm very appreciative of that. I'm appreciative of all your time. I know how busy you are, but I also need to say congratulations before we get too far on the new grandchild and shout out to Morgan and Kareem on the new baby girl. How many grandchildren is that for you now? And and what's it like now, Granddaddy? Seven kids,
1: seven grandkids.
0: <sighs> That's not bad, right there. That's good work. All
1: I know is it pushes me a little harder to work because like right now, you know, the grind right now is for them. Because I want to I wanna leave something for for my grandchildren. You know, man, um, I just think that's important. You know, I didn't get that. You know, man, look, man, when my mom and daddy passed, they didn't leave us nothing but except love and guidance. And I was appreciative. I wasn't expecting anything. You know, there was nothing for them to give. But I also wanted to make sure that at the end of mine, that, you know, man, I give some family members a shot that I see other families getting, you know, where they don't have to start below the O, you know. <laughs> you know. Hey, man, let me start you at seven. <laughs> and Understand it, you know, I that. i get to 10 from there, you know.
0: So talk to me about this moment we're in as a Black man, as a Black father, between COVID, the elections, the uprisings around the country, and the racial reckoning we're all experiencing. How are you processing it all?
1: I mean, you know, it's a lot, man. It's a lot. I mean, let's be really, really honest here. My white counterparts and white friends don't have to grapple with it the same way. Amen. You know, uh, they just don't. And it's not, it's nothing I can do about it. It's the hand we dealt. But it's hard to wake up every single day. And you have to factor in the fact that today, I got to go out here and deal with the fact that I'm black just because I was born this way every single day. And, you know, I just have to factor it in. And so every move I make, every street I go down, every time I hear the siren, every every time I get on the elevator, every time I walk into the meeting, you know, I, I, I walk in with that factor. So it's challenging. Then you have children who all of this is new to them. You know what I mean? Because, of course, they've been Black their entire life, but, you know, they've been kids, and they've been going to school, and now they're out there in the world working jobs and taking meetings, and and they're grappling with this, and they have tons of questions. And so you deal with it then, and then I go to work. I got a radio show for four hours. I have to deal with it then. Then I get off the radio, and I go to my TV set, And even though I'm having fun and I'm talking to families and we having a great time, I always got that back there playing in my mind, too. Then I get off work and I come home and I have a wife Mm -hmm. who wants to talk.
0: A black woman. I've been talking all day. You got a whole nother job. People don't even
1: (laughs) ask. Bruh, I'm tired of (laughs) talking today. Oh, you don't have time for me? And (laughs) then I'm going to want to sleep with her this week. So I got to filter all of that in, man. And then you got the the racial, the protest that's going on, which I'm a huge supporter of. And my son is a, a photographer, and he's been down there videoing the protest in Atlanta. And then it was right after they named, they called for the curfew. But he felt it was his obligation to go out there and tell the story one video-wise.
0: The most, he's one of the most important people. You got to document, that's real life history he's documenting.
1: Amen, but but he my son too. And I know and I know we passed curfew and I know the police is here to enforce the curfew.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So now I got a whammy. I want him to be who God made him to be, but at the same time, I want him to come home. Cause I know some people out there that don't really give a damn about him. Yeah. And so that with all of that put into it, and then we COVID, <laughs> uh, it's been great. So, you're doing good. You're batting
0: 1,000 right now. (laughs) Talk to me about expanding the Family Feud franchise in African media markets and the business environment in places like Ghana and South Africa. How does this franchise translate to audiences on the continent? Because, to be honest, only somebody like you could do it.
1: Well, you know, man, when I came up with the idea, uh, everybody told me no. I'm telling you, everybody, except for Fremantle, who owns the Family Feud franchise. Well, they said, Steve, it's not going to be successful there, but if anybody can do it, it's probably you. Well, everybody else, lawyers, accountants. Except people. Brandon, w- Brandon B-Dub didn't say that. Brandon Williams
0: said, go on over there and do that.
1: <laughs> Brandon Williams, man, my right-hand man. And to B.D. Stevens, my, uh, my global business development guy, I sent him over there to go find out how we could make it happen. So I bought the international rights to Family Feud and I had the idea in November of 18, November 2018. They told me probably two years we could start shooting in 2021, maybe 20, Uh, not happening. Next November, we were in Africa shooting. So
0: what's your advice to to people who want to do business on the continent? Because right now, everybody's talking about being able to break out and do more over there. What's your advice to people who want to do some emerging type businesses over there?
1: Well, you know, I've spent a lot of money figuring it out. (laughs) It it ain't free, partner. It's it's not free to go and learn the lessons. But I've spent the money to figure it out, man. And it's one of the smartest and best moves I've made because... Here's what, I was just doing an interview and somebody asked me about Hollywood. Here's the difference between the two things about Africa that's different from here. When I go to Africa, I don't have to go to a meeting to green light any idea I have. They are so accepting and wanting of me to be over there because they can't believe, first of all, none of them believed I was coming. Steve Hardy is coming. He is doing all these shows. Why would he come here? Yeah, I got to come here. So I don't have to sit in a meeting to get anything green light. I'm going to do three shows over there as soon as the the travel bans are lifted. I got three shows that I'm just going to do. I've pitched these shows in the United States. I got two of them green lit, but they just been sitting behind red tape. I'm going to say, give me my ideas back. I'm going to Africa. I'm going to shoot them. I'm going to get it done. That's the most important thing about going to Africa. Second most important thing, Bakari, for the first time in my life, man, I get to wake up and I'm not a minority. Amen to that. I don't have to factor in that I'm black today, that I'm going to be the only one in the meeting because everybody else in the meeting looked just like me. Everybody at the bank looked just like me. Everybody in the elevator looked like me, everybody at the restaurant looked like me. And so I took my family over there, man, and we loved it, man, because I'm gonna tell you, man, I just didn't know what it felt like to wake up and not be a minority. It's the most refreshing feeling I've ever had. And I said, man, I just wanna feel it more often.
0: You got so much stuff going on. You got multiple ventures going on at once. You got your foundation. You got your father, a husband. How do you manage it all?
1: I mean, you know, look, I take the time out when I can. But my family has to understand, you know, y'all like groceries. Y'all like all these swimming pools. Y'all like going to get on these planes. OK, daddy and papa got to go make something happen. And so my wife, Marjorie, is the glue to this whole thing. Because she sets the tone for everybody. Listen, dad's not going to be here for this birthday party because he's working. Or dad's not going to be here because dad got to get some rest. So I'm here. Uh, Your father needs this, this, and this. Y'all quit calling your father. Talk to me. And Marjorie has probably been 85% of the catalyst, there, which keeps the wheel rolling. And she's behind the scenes. but. You got to have an understanding partner, man, when you're doing all of this to balance it because it is tough to balance.
0: It's a partner. It's a partnership. That's what most people don't know when they go in. They just think love going to make it work or attraction going to... No, you got to have a partner, right? You got to have somebody with some good common sense.
1: Brother, listen to me. This... And this ain't... This is not a partnership. This ain't 50-50. See, that's the other thing dudes got to get wrapped around their head. Marriage is 85-15. And dude, you got to get happy with the 15. Because the 85 is hers. See, <laughs> hey, see, I'm at my house right now. This little sign up. This is just a room. This is all I got. <laughs> the rest of the house is hers.
0: <laughs> you know, you, you'll, you'll appreciate this. My brother, who, the reason I know Brandon is because my brother and Brandon were roommates at Morehouse from the beginning, from their freshman year. Yeah. I've known Brandon since I was 12 years old. And my brother gave me advice he said, all women have problems. You just got to find the woman with the problems you can deal with.
1: Bruh, that's, let me tell you something. That's 100% true. <laughs> all of them got them. You got to find one you deal with. Because you got them too. Because you and got them too. to find the one that can grapple with y'all. Because, like, as cool as I think I am, my wife has told me on many occasions, you're a handful, Mr. Harvey.
0: Hey Amen. We know that. But let's talk, let's talk stand-up for a minute, because that's where you got your start and you were a student of yeah. comedy. Who were your influences? When you look back at it, who were the people that you looked up to?
1: It was simple, man. It was Richard Pryor. It was Cosby. When I became a college student, it was nobody but Richard Pryor, Bill Cosby, and George Carlin. When I George was a Car- kid, George
0: Carlin is so funny. Dog, he was
1: dope. He wrote jokes, man. He did a joke and I can't even remember, but he wrote this huge bit about rich white people in golf courses. And why we could have, we've taken the most beautiful scenery in our country and turned them into golf courses. I and mean, he had all these other suggestions. But when I was a little boy, man, there were no black people on TV. So it was Jonathan Winters, Red Buttons, I love Jackie Gleason, man, Dick Van Dyke, you know, people like that. But when I got older, it was purely Richard Pryor, the Wanted album. When I was in college, man, Bicentennial Nigga was the album. It was called Bicentennial Nigga, And it was 1976. And his whole album, I was in college, I was going, man, this is what I want to do, but I had no clue how to do it. But those were the inspirations. Bill Cosby taught me the most personally to sit me down and teach me. You know, people have trouble when I mention his name but oh, I mean I'm that's told.
0: real that's real life because I, I when I when you say Bill I think about his relationship with Eddie Murphy and the rap he gets from you know Eddie's comments about him so it's it's interesting to hear that y'all had completely different experiences
1: with Bill. Oh, totally different he invited me to his house in 94 and it was the first time I ever been in a home that had an elevator I, I this foreign lady answered the door and put me in an office and the entire office was huge and the whole floor was leather. I was in there digging my heel and trying to figure out if it was real leather. <laughs> he set me down and he gave me the life lessons that I needed, man. And he told me what I needed. And then later on, he was instrumental in helping my sons get into Morehouse.
0: Well, I, I, I was I was there. Trust me, I, I know, I know them all. Do you miss stand up at all? You you were you you so like this is I don't know this is weird cuz this is like me asking Tiger Woods does he miss golf or LeBron James does he miss basketball. I do ask Michael Jordan does he miss it, but do you miss stand up? I mean you you are one of the best to ever do it.
1: I do miss the moment of after I get out there. I miss 10,000 people. I'm talking about, and I'm watching them react. They getting up out their seats. They run into the back of the room and coming back. I'm watching them lay in their reclining seats and stretch completely out. I miss watching people hit each other laughing. I do miss that. I do not miss the two hours before the show. I don't miss that at all. That I feel like vomiting moment. I don't miss that. I don't miss the preparation of the show. The being in the dressing room, going over the material, trying to get it right, trying to get it down. I do miss being out there. But at the same time, I'm so glad that I'm out of it at this juncture because the culture has changed. We are so politically correct that comedy is really not allowable. The only dude right now that's telling the jokes that he really wants to tell is Dave Chappelle.
0: Dave Chappelle. Because Dave Chappelle can do that. Chris Rock actually just came out with something in the paper recently and it, and it got spent and cut up all types of ways to Sunday. I don't even think he knew what he was saying after he read the New York Daily Post about
1: it. See, <laughs> and so that's the problem. See, we are such a cancel culture. Everybody want to see if they can get you put out of business. And Dave Chappelle is the only one that ain't going nowhere because he has nothing attached to a sponsor at all. He is free to roam the countryside and cut you down. If I told any of the jokes that Dave Chappelle told... <laughs>
0: It'd be Family Feud with Bakari Sellers. I would still... <laughs> I would remember you, but it would just be a different host.
1: Yeah, man. And so in, in that regard, man, I stay away from it.
0: 2020 marks the 20th anniversary of the Kings of Comedy. I know that you all, when you did it, you knew it was going to hit, but did you ever think it would become iconic?
1: No. No. It's, it's nobody... And Spike Lee... Spike Lee what, directed that? Yeah, man. Spike. It was crazy because Spike was such a cool dude, but he Spike don't know nothing about stand-up.
0: I know. That's what I you know, I know Spike because we served on a board at Morehouse together. And he Spike is one of them dudes who who thinks he's funny. He's funny to himself. Just to himself. Just to himself. By his damn self. <laughs> we were looking
1: at Spike like
0: Bro, even, even his wife don't laugh. Spike tell a whole joke and he will fall. He spike will fall out the chair.
1: Bro, Spike be bent over. <laughs> and Spike was talking to us during the movie, we were sitting there looking at Spike. What? Man, you know what y'all ought to do? Now, it's me, Bernie, said, and DL. He gets us on the table and goes, hey, man, y'all know what would really be funny? And we sitting here like, okay, between the four of us, please, Spike, share something with us that we don't know about this. When y'all come out, you, Steve, when you come out, you ought to look at the crowd and just walk back behind the curtain and then walk back out. That's <laughs> the spike. That ain't funny, man. Man, they're going to die laughing. Why? <laughs> 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 Who? Who going to die Bruh. laughing? Bruh, so, you know, he was good at shooting the movie, but Spike got really smart quickly because he went, wow, these dudes is on some other stuff. Maybe I should just turn the camera on and get out the way.
0: What's the legacy of Kings of Comedy though? Because the only thing, the only there are only three stand-up shows, and Kings of Comedy is number one, but they're only two. Well, it's 1A. One 1B one is raw with, with yeah. Eddie Murphy. That was yeah. that was special. Epic. And then Epic. And then you I I like the Jamie one where he played the piano. It wasn't as funny as y'all. And Chris Rock had one, but y'all are special. What's the legacy of the king? You, you don't, you don't see this no more. I mean, I what,
1: well, because stand up has completely changed. The reason you will never see the kings again is because you can't develop four guys like that anymore. There aren't places for them to go to become great stand-ups anymore. I mean, these dudes is relegated down to dropping bits on Instagram. The problem with that is, yeah, you drop a bit on Instagram, but when you go live, you can't tell that joke again. See, man, they, we're not singers. Look, man, when your singer come to town, you want to hear the hits. When a comedian come to town, you want to hear a new hit. You're not going to laugh at the same jokes, man. If you know the punchline, this is not going to be funny. So young cats now don't have the venues to work, and then comedy changed. change. And back man, when you look at Def Jam, when Def Jam first started out, hey bro, the first week of Def Jam at the St. James Theater in New York was Chris Rock, Dave Chappelle, Martin Lawrence, Damon Wayans. This is crazy. Steve Harvey, Bernie Mac, D.L. Hughley, Cedric the Entertainer, Jamie Foxx, Cheryl Underwood, Simply Marvelous, Monique, Adele Givens, you, Bill Bell. The,
0: the only one you missing is Earthquake.
1: Bro, and Earthquake came right behind that. Earthquake was coming to Atlanta watching me. The first time I met Earthquake, he knocked on my hotel door. You know, I used to stay in the rooms where you could see the door from the parking lot. (laughs) I didn't have nothing there. A dude had came to the show at the Mobile Punchline. He knocked on the door. I opened the door. I said, yeah, my man. He said, man, my name, Earthquake. I said, okay, what can I do for you? He said, I was at your show. I said, hey, bro, you know, coming to my room like this—that's a violation. This ain't good magic, right here, partner. You know, I didn't have nothing. I'm I'm straight out the hood. I'm, 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 I'm a stab earthquake. You know, that's that's about where we at with it. And I looked at earthquake and he introduced himself and he got to talking. He said, I just need some advice. I invited earthquake in my room. He told me he had been in the navy or something. And we got to talking. He said, man. I'm going to be a stand-up. And we talked to him. And right after that, me and went to got something to eat at a Waffle House. And we became friends, been friends ever since.
0: Tell me about, now I, I, you know, I want to go there. But tell me about Bernie Mac and what it's like working with him. And this is a tough question to ask you, but is he the greatest stand-up of all time? And the jokes that he tells, I want you to know, it's crazy. Because, you know, God puts us in these, uh, these amazing situations. But him downstairs, ain't a joke he can tell today.
1: do dog. Him downstairs. He can't tell none of his jokes. Bernie can't tell nothing he did.
0: But Bernie set a table, though, because Bernie went and did the Bernie Mac show, and I'm trying to figure out what producer and what person and what Ivory Tile was like, come on in, this is a good idea, because that person took a leap of faith, and that right. was a damn good idea.
1: But during the Kings, Bernie was the only one that wasn't on a sitcom. True. Me me saying D.L. was on sitcoms. And Bernie said something at an interview about that that had us rolling. The only one ain't got a TV show is me. <laughs> what, the, what the fuck <laughs> going on? It was some bullshit. And I guess a guy heard that and went, yeah, this is some BS. And so they put Bernie down. Bernie as a stand-up for us, as the Kings, he was our dude. See, the first year I closed the show, It was said, then Bernie, then me. And it was rough following Bernie, man. Because Bernie's language alone was different. You know, Bernie would have sentences with nothing but profanity in it. And that was the joke. There was no subject matter. (laughs) He would just put together eight cuss words and that was the joke. And I'm next out here talking about my family and all this here. And uh, the first night of the Kings of Comedy, was one of the worst nights on stage I've ever had in my career because we performed in Charlotte and we were and it was hockey season cause it was wintertime and they had put a wooden floor on top of the ice. Oh yeah. And I'm so not. what happened was we were supposed to do 30 minutes. Said did 45. Bernie did 48. Then they took a 45 minute intermission. The black people were sitting on that ice with coats on freezing
0: ready to go unless you're going to warm them up.
1: Then I came out on stage. My HBO special had just came out on the 21st. I forgot all about this. The, we shot the first night. We didn't shoot, but we performed first night, like the 28th of December or something like that. My mother had just passed. So I was shook, man. And I didn't even watch my own special. I forgot it came out because my mama had just died, man. And I was still in a funk. And so that first night I went out, I was doing jokes that I forgot from the special. It was not a good night. So the second year we added DL and we tried to convince Bernie to close. He didn't want to. So then I came up with this idea. I tell you what, I'll host it. I'll host it and we don't have a host and I'll bring out DL said and Bernie. And that became the way the order went because Bernie needed to be last man because Bernie was a special talent man. We would all pull up chairs at the monitor backstage. Me said and DL to watch what we call a train wreck every night. (laughs) Bernie never told the same joke the same way. He was unlike anybody and he would just, he would go out there and just cuss. He had a minister stand one time, he said, all the ministers in the room. If you a minister, stand. You know we had big arenas, man. So it always be some ministers. They'd stand, and he would start. They cussing. gotta have
0: a place. They gotta have a place to take their girlfriends. But go ahead. Bruh,
1: come on, man. <laughs> Bro, he cussed every minister out in it. We couldn't breathe, man. Brilliant, dude. Brilliant.
0: Is, is there anything that you haven't done in the entertainment business that you want to do?
1: No, nah, man. I'm I'm pretty content with entertainment. I think where I'm headed now is uh, more into the motivational world, I think. I think that's something that's getting put on me more and more because now when I travel abroad, people are not talking about my stand-up. They remember the shows and stuff, but they're talking about, man, your YouTube video changed my life, man, or I saw you doing this and it changed my life. And so I'm going to start doing that, man. Those are the types of things that probably I'm headed into. And just more of a business, business person.
0: Yeah, because I mean, you you're, you're building wealth for a family. I'm gonna let you go in a minute, but I got to ask you a couple more, two more questions. Because now that it's Tom Joyner has retired, you're arguably, not even arguably, but you are the dean of black radio. Talk about how important black radio is to black voters. I tell people often that the most underutilized tool in black politics is black radio because people don't, they don't understand the power of black radio. Right. Talk about that and the what the role of black radio will play in beating Donald Trump.
1: See, and I'm going to tell you something, man. Biden and Kamala have got to spend money on black radio. They have got to, man. And Cheryl Underwood has been pushing everybody. But Biden and Kamala Harris, the campaigns, they have to spend money on black radio because they don't understand. Black radio is still so important, so important. in our lives. Yeah. You've been a guest on my show many times. Many when you times. want to get a point across to us, you come on the show. No, there's no and question. Accomplished.
0: No, no, no. When I went when I had a book come out, I said there were shows I wanted to do. This is so, you know, I said, I want to do The View. I said, I want to do uh, Trevor Noah and I yeah. want to do Steve Harvey Morning Show. Yeah. I mean, that's the that's the framework and The Breakfast Club. That's the framework that I look at. I said, I got to do these shows for me to be successful as anybody, as a person of color.
1: Right. You know, man, I wish I could do the Breakfast Club. I wish they would have a heart attack because they're on the morning and just like my company would just throw a conniption fit. They lose their ever-loving damn mind if I show up on the Breakfast Club in New York and I'm on WBLS, but I want so badly to be on The Breakfast Club.
0: Why do you want to, why you want to be on it? Tell me.
1: Because they're relevant, man.
0: Yeah. Because they're relevant. But they only, they, but if you talk to Envy, you talk to Charlotte, and you talk to, to, uh, to Angela Yee, they will tell you that they want to be like Ricky. They want to be like Steve. They want to be like Tom. Like, that is what they want to do.
1: And look, I talk to Charlemagne all the time. He's my dude. Yeah. We talk all the time call me, oh, what would you do about this? What can we do about that? But that young audience, a lot of it is on The Breakfast Club. Black radio is so important, man. If Kamala and Biden expect to pull this thing off, and they can't, they got to put to some, some money into black radio. I don't look, I don't need that money. If they buy some advertising on my station, fine. If they don't, fine. I'm talking about how to get this man out of office because Donald Trump's base is so connected to him. I've never seen anything like it. because I'm beyond confused how the <laughs> Republicans are supposed to be the moral party, how they are supposed to be the conscience of our country, They are supposed to uphold the banner of morality and they have allowed one of the most immoral people to ever occupy the White House and represent their party as the GOP. I'm confused. You can't tell me that after watching this guy for nearly four years, that you would want your child to be like that. We got a dude propped up in the White House that nobody can tell their children, that's who you should aim to be one day. Oh, I saw it in Barack Obama. I saw it in George Bush. Hell, Amen. I saw it in Ronald Reagan.
0: Yeah, but you can't, you don't see that in you don't see that in la- last question. Last Amen. question before you get out of here. People know about Steve Harvey, the businessman and the comedian, the radio and TV show host. But I wanted to close where we talk about your philanthropic work. What's been the most impactful work you've done through your foundation? And how can people support the foundation that I play a role in? My dog is barking in the background. Today is my 36th birthday. So my twins, they having a birthday party for me in a little bit. So I ain't rushing you, but I got more important things to do to hang out yes, with you. Yes, you do, it.
1: I got to <laughs> let you go do it. Listen, man, nothing has been bigger in my life than changing boys' and girls' lives, especially the young men that I come in contact with, because I deal with them directly. My wife deals with the girl, But to know that I've taken gangbangers off the street. To know that I've taken young men with no confidence, that I had two boys that was at each other because they were in rival gangs come to my camp, and I took one of these boys and gave him a shot at education. Do you know that this cat is an engineer today?
0: That's what you they should be. You on TV
1: with your daddy.
0: That's dope. Stoke- Say, hey, Stokely. Named after Stokely Carmichael. This is Steve. Say, hey, Uncle Steve. Come here. This is Say. Hey,
1: wait a minute, man. These are the twins.
0: These are the twins. This is Stokely and Sadie. Say hey, she-
1: said, boy, you got two. Hey, Amen. Get out now, partner. <laughs>
0: boy, and girl. Oh, I'm already fixed. I'm fixed. No, I'm done. My wife's so <laughs> mad at me. I went. In, I went and just told her to pick me up one day. I said, just <laughs> pick me, pick hey, me darling, up from the
1: doctor. <laughs> you're done. You're done. I got. I got a set of twins, man. I mean, congratulations! But you have no idea the pain that's coming your way, homie. Oh, trust <laughs> me, I,
0: man. We ain't been asleep in three weeks. We just be looking at each other, and every night we wanna we plan a romantic evening. Her romance is that I'm snoring, and mine is that she's snoring. So that's that's about as far as we go.
1: Hey man, let me tell you something. Children are the biggest blockers ever oh, made.
0: They so disrespectful. They don't. They just. They don't care about your your schedule, your day, your time, how rough your day was. They don't care about none of that.
1: Martin Luther King said all children are born with the drum major instinct. They think they should be out front at all times.
0: All times. Thank you, my brother, for joining the Bakari Sellers podcast. I love you. Unc. I love you so much and your family. Um, whatever I can do, man, let me know, man. I'm always here for you. Thank you so much, you man. Too. Happy birthday. All right, man. Thank you, man. Be
1: easy.